Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, uh, I guess it's Groundhog Day. Uh, when, when does Puxatawney Phil? When do they do that? Uh, I thought whole it was nine ritual? o'clock. Yeah, had anybody help me out? Nine o'clock, nine a.m., eight a.m. Central. Yeah, all right. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll break in. Uh, we when, know his uh, name is Puxatawney Phil. When whether what? What's his name? Puxatawney pa- Phil. Puxatawney Phil. Puxatawney Phil. You just heard it in that clip from Groundhog Day. Right. Get hooked on phonics. Uh, we'll uh, we'll break in though if he sees a shadow or not. Uh, you know, I was. Uh, did you see the latest thing with this uh, goofball George Santos who was elected to Congress from mean, uh, Nassau County, New York? Yeah, you mean the elite volleyball player? Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, look, all, all these politicians tell uh, fabulous stories and vignettes where they're the hero they're wildly successful when they're not they're they have a dizzying academic record when they don't i mean joe biden and george santos have a lot in common is what i'm saying but uh no but but not the volleyball player not the um the time as a drag queen in south america um Goldman, didn't he say he worked for Goldman Sachs or something? He I said mean, that. He, yeah, he's such a lot. I don't. I, I can't even look at him. He's so smarmy. Sh- yeah, right. I know. Oh my gosh, all our heroes have fallen. Uh, George Santos. No, the latest one is that he scammed a Navy veteran out of money that was raised to save his dying service dog. Yeah. Now we're really beginning to scrape the bottom of the barrel here. He set up a GoFundMe page for this uh, Navy veteran uh, to help pay for surgery to remove a tumor from Sapphire, his service dog. Fundraiser hit its goal of $3,000. Santos closed the uh, fundraising page, became hard to reach, and made off with the money is the accusation. So now authorities are looking into it as they're looking into everything with George Santos. The New York Post has basically an hourly update on the latest George Santos controversy. Well, he's the new President Trump, you know, for the left-wing media. Because you're right, there's constant, every single time I go to a certain website, it's George Santos, George Santos, Trump, George Santos, Trump. Well, the the uh, question that some might ask, well, so where did this guy come from? How did he get elected? 
And um, it's a story that's not dissimilar to the Republican situation in Illinois. Okay. Uh, and it's brought to us by Frank Scarturo by way of an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. Scarturo um, is a candidate for Congress in uh, Nassau County, the 4th Congressional District, pre-remapped. I think Santos represents the 3rd, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Scaturro is a former Republican counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee and House Select Investigative Panel on Infant Lives. So, I mean, it's it's not some Yahoo. And um, when you read the piece that he writes describing the Nassau County Republican Party, it rings very familiar and thus quite credible. Uh, he um, writes about Nassau County. It's home to perhaps the last remaining large Chicago-style political machine east of the Windy City. Manned by armies of patronage workers and bloated municipal governments and lorded over by party bosses. But unlike in Chicago, this one is a Republican machine. The chairman of the Nassau County GOP has sole power to make candidate endorsements. And he is so preoccupied with what's in it for him, he readily undercuts the interests of Republican voters. Prospective candidates who aren't picked almost always make the Sadly, rational choice not to subject themselves to the buzzsaw of a rigged election. I know this from personal experience. Um, I ran for Congress, as I said he uh, he did, uh, located within in a seat located entirely within Nassau County. Spent a year building what was recognized as the only viable Republican campaign to unseat Democrat incumbent Carolyn McCarthy. This is back in 2010. Well, my fellow rank-and-file Republican committeemen and numerous elected officials greeted my candidacy with enthusiasm. I heard murmurings that the famously clannish bosses at the top didn't view me as inside enough. The uh, then-Nassau GOP chairman, Joe Mandela, spent months looking for someone, anyone, to throw into the race with the purpose of beating me in a primary. Never mind that it would virtually guarantee the Democrat McCarthy's re-election. As Michael Barone wrote at the time, it appeared Mandela was, quote, trying to boot an election in order to maintain his own personal power. Where have we heard that before? Where have we seen that before? At the 11th hour, the bosses pick uh, a county legislator unprepared for the race. Uh, Republican committeemen were instructed that anyone supporting me should resign. Supporters who have municipal jobs or contracts cease openly supporting me for fear of termination and on occasion admitted to me as such. Shortly before the primary, the organization's leadership put the word out among members that I needed to be defeated to prevent other Republicans from emerging in future elections to run for any number of elective offices in Nassau County. The machine ultimately beat me with a negative campaign based on a Santos-worthy fabrication that I was a Democrat. As the bosses well knew, I was a lifelong conservative Republican, longtime GOP committeeman who labored for decades in my home township of North Hempstead, a uh, Democrat stronghold, trying to elect Republicans. I ran again in 12 and 14, and the bosses beat me in low turnout primaries with the same combination of intimidation and lies, adding to the Democrat charge, the flourish that I was an quote-unquote ultra-liberal. Over the five years following my last campaign in 2014, top Republican officials in Nassau County were convicted of public corruption or fraud charges, including New York Senate Majority Leader, the Nassau County Executive as Chief Deputy, the Town Supervisor of Oyster Bay, a Hempstead Town Councilman who had long played a central role in county and town government. And so 
at, when you turn over to Santos and the new boss, same as the old boss, and this sort of uh, machine, a guy named Cairo, that's his last name, uh, it turned out that as, how, how did Santos, you know, walk to the nomination and and uh, stage this upset victory? Well, part of it was the year on the upset victory, but right. walk to the nomination. Santos was one of the top contributors to NASA GOP entities with political action committees tied to him and his sister donating one hundred eighty five thousand dollars in twenty one and twenty two. Now. Uh, Mr. Cairo, the head of the Nassau County GOP, is, of course, joining the chorus to uh, calling on George Santos to resign. We trusted him, and shame us, shame on us for doing that. Well, how did they properly, like, they didn't properly vet him. I mean, he said his That's mom died the from the results of 9-11, and she was not, in Brazil at the time. That's not, not the, the issue. issue. Not the issue. As Mr. Scaturro writes, this Republican candidate, the Santos scandal isn't an isolated instance of negligent vetting. It's the product of the machine's toxic combination of illicit tactics to shut down primary competition and pay-to-play culture. Does that, does that sound familiar, uh, Illinois Republicans? It, it's, not about, it's not about negligent vetting. It's about willful blindness because I'm not, we're not really here to try to elevate credible, uh, much less compelling candidates. We're here to maintain our positions, and some of us are here to leverage our positions for personal reward, which is why you don't have much of a Republican Party in New York, and you have even less of one in Illinois. And by the way, I mean, the— Reminds me of uh, Arthur Jones— when they let him slip by. Yeah, yeah I, I think you're missing the point. Um, what, 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 what happened to Scaturro? Does this not ring familiar? Does, does, does anybody live in the state uh, uh, other than me sometimes? I mean, is there any institutional memory here? Has anybody gone through the last few election cycles or has it just been me? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment. Conservative Republican who uh, challenged the establishment and they try to smear that Republican and effectively in Nassau County, effectively in Illinois, as a Democrat without basis, without foundation. In fact, in contravention of the facts. So nobody nobody was here in twenty eighteen when Jeannie Ives ran against Bruce Rauner. Nobody remembers that campaign. Nobody was here in uh, the spring of 2022 when they tried the same thing against Darren Bailey, Madigan's favorite Republican. Do you remember those campaigns or is it just me? Did those campaigns happen? (laughs) I mean, honestly, no lesson is learned. No information is retained. No institutional knowledge is brought into the present. And this is how dysfunctional and corrupt Republican organizations, whether in Illinois or in Nassau County, New York, persist. And this is how you destroy a party from within and make it a relic. And this is how you get candidates like George Santos. Or governors like Bruce Rauner.
not that I'm putting them in the same category, but my point is to say when you and, and legislative leaders like, I don't know, name the last three Republican legislative leaders in either chamber. Because you're not interested in winning. That's secondary. If you win, that's nice. You're interested in your perch as a kingmaker or as a placeholder who's being paid handsomely and is positioned to, positioned to leverage your place for personal gain or further power aggrandizement. This is the spoils of war model of governance, political party organization that destroyed the Republican Party from within in places like Illinois and now Nassau County. Let it be yet another cautionary tale that you'll forget in five minutes. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773 or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. Come join the murder. Come fly with black. We'll give you freedom from the human trap. Come join the murder. Dan and Amy, top of the morning. Uh, that's uh, my designated theme music for Lori Lightfoot's reelection campaign. And um, she wants more cheerleaders like me, although I don't know if she would qualify me as one. What do we want? And then to violence. What do we, when do we want it? Whenever. No. Whenever you get around to it. We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you, city leaders? Uh, as Chicago struggles with rising crime and high-profile corporate departures, you may have heard something about that. Lori Lightfoot has a message for business leaders. Who are you? Where are you? No, her message is it's time to be a cheerleader for the city. Oh, boy. She's urging executives who have, quote, profited mightily, unquote, <gasps> to tell their success stories, she said in an interview at uh, Bloomberg's office in Chicago. She's um, what we need. Uh, like we see, frankly, in other cities, and we remind them of that, is people who are diehard Chicagoans who are championing our businesses. I can't tell you, oh, here's our Jamie Dimon, but we've got a number of people across every sector that are strong. Okay, well, uh, 
who wants to volunteer to be our Jamie Dimon, to be our cheerleader for Chicago now that uh, Ken Griffin has departed and Lori Lightfoot can't seem to backfill the position? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 646-36-DA, turnkey.pro. Where are these business leaders? Why aren't there business folk telling their success stories? Thank you, well, City of Chicago government, for allowing me to profit mightily here. They're successful businessmen who know not to invest in a failing product, right? So it's going to be hard to find somebody to donate. The first person that came to my mind was Governor Pritzker. I mean, he lives in the Gold Coast. She he's said businessman. Businessman. Well, he does. He claims he's a businessman. Uh, he we're not talking about people who claim it. They have to be credible because um, they have to be credible to their audience. So uh, J.B. Pritzker claiming to be a tech entrepreneur is a punchline. So try again. Well, maybe um, see see if Pat Ryan will take your call. Oh, that's right. Pat Ryan. Well, you know, you go and travel in those circles. I don't. I mean, who's left? Well, who's left that would take her call? Right. Chris Kibzinski, the CEO of McDonald's, gets up and says, you know, we really need to see a plan for improving public safety. And uh, he gets the back of the hand of, you You know, he doesn't know what he's talking about from Larry Lightfoot. And then she wonders, where are the business leaders touting Chicago? Where are our cheerleaders? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Um, Willie Wilson, but he's running for her position now. No. Yeah, try to think of somebody not oh, running for office trying. because well, that's harder. that's you know you, well, you can't call Sam Zell. I you can't no. call him. He's donating to Paul Vallis. Okay, where are those business cheerleaders for Lori Lightfoot? Business cheerleaders for the way things are and have been for some time. You know, frankly, to be fair to Triple Threat, as I try to be fair. Well, you're supporting her, right? Yeah. Uh, they were there for Tiny Dancer. Yeah. And it was not the same clown show exactly, but it was largely the same landscape under Tiny Dancer. So it's gotten worse and it's become more preposterous. You have to endure more theater of the absurd with Triple Threat than you did Tiny Dancer. But. Uh, we didn't have a public safety crime uh, violence problem under Tiny Dancer. Of course we did. Has it metastasized into neighborhoods that are not used to having to deal with uh, carjackings and such on a daily basis? Sure it has. But it was always going to be that way when you're just changing out the people but not the approach. Well, we still had a downtown back when uh, Tiny Dancer was mayor. So where are they? Where are those cheerleaders for Chicago? Well, she needs her Ken Griffin or somebody to step into his position because any time there was something wrong, Dan, she said, I am so grateful because I had to go to all those press conferences for a year. Ken Griffin's going to step up again, and he's going to help repair the lakefront. Because remember, there was some erosion there by North Avenue Beach, and he fixed the bike path so we could you know, have our life back again on the lakefront. So she needs somebody. And she don't have anybody. It's lonely at the top, huh? Hmm. It can be. Where are her cheerleaders? Michael Sachs, where are you? Michael Sachs was uh, Tiny Dancer's big business representative. What? You stopped being a Democrat? You don't love Chicago anymore. What's going on? She's on her knees begging for Why her. are people accentuating the positive, the negative? Why not focus on the positive? Tell your success stories. Tell how good it is here. You want to attract your colleagues, don't you? You got to tell the Chicago story, not the one that I tell. 
because there's no beautiful lies in my story. So why won't you tell the story? Why won't you tell the story that Lori Lightfoot wants you to tell? Come on, say it with me. It's not as bad as you think. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of blame to go around, and we're working on it. And resources. Yeah. But 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 look at all the good. Have you seen the bean? Is it Navy Pier? A hoot? Go on the Ferris wheel. Any rich Italian Americans that might want to come forward? Oh no, wait, she completely alienated that whole group. George Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Oh. How about Joe Perillo, the mega dealer? Nobody could sell like an <laughs> auto salesman. Yeah, but yeah, but she told him to go pound sand. Thanks yeah. for the call, George. After his place in the Gold Coast got rousted, they had a little meeting, didn't go well, so hard to enlist him. She told him to hire more security. She told everybody to do that. Yeah, but that meeting didn't last long, and she was a disgrace. But where are all of these uh, who else is there? These tribal elders who brought us to this place, who delivered us Tiny Dancer, who de facto delivered us Lori Lightfoot? Well, they don't want to continue to prop this thing up? Continue to paper over it with uh, payons to the lakefront and the city that works and the city of big shoulders. Come on. Where's your enthusiasm? Why so dour? Why so silent? What's happened? Craigmont Greenwood. Oh, hey. Good morning, uh, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking my call. I sure hope all these uh, people all over the city, and not least of which are the business people, uh, all kinds of small little private businesses and to big businesses all over the place, and especially downtown, destroying downtown, shutting everything down, uh, t- t- making all those rules and everything, to take and wreck people's lives and, uh, and all that. Where are they? Where is, where, yeah, yeah. Go down but, State Street. You'll yeah, where, where's, come on. Thanks what about for the, the call, Craig. Where, 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 I'm not talking about, uh, you know, the local grocer or tavern owner. Where are the economic club types? Come on, all those, uh, you know, pretenders at the city club. She'll take you. Here's what she said. Perception, I think, is more of a challenge than reality. I feel very, very good about the commitment of our business community, even with the departure of Ken Griffin. She feels great about it. She can't find anybody to point to. She's begging people to tell their success stories, but she feels very good about it. And the problem here is completely one of perception. Not reality. Things are good. What about the rickets? What about them? Because they're too smart. They don't want to throw away their money. I, I believe they still own Wrigley Field. They do. Yes, I'm saying, but they're probably just going to focus on that and not help her with. Well, this is helping her. This is oh, this is yeah, b- right. providing leadership for the city. This is to generate optimism, to make Chicago a magnet. It just takes a few kind words. That's all it takes because we just have to dispel this negative perception that's out there because of uh, naysayers like me. And everything would be fine. People would flock in droves. People will come, Ray. People will come. All you have to do is say nice things about Chicago. Tell people it's fine. Not a problem. Stand in front of the exploding fireworks factory and say there's nothing to see here. 
and then it will be a gilded path for the denizens of the Windy City. Right? Uh, she's over the target, isn't she? It's a perception problem. Business commitment strong. Things going well. Uh, we have problems, but like any big city. There's always going to be issues. But, you know, hey, that's just part of living in a big city. And where is where 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 where, where the, the 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 populace rallying to this cry for optimism and positivity? Don't they see what she sees? Or do they have a perception problem too? John in Naperville. Yeah, you know, she reminds me of the mother of the uh, drug addicted criminal son. Anyway. Two, two of the logical CEOs that should be putting or, or supporting her would be the CEO of Smith and Wesson, and also the CEO, and also the CEO yeah. of Trojan Condoms because she does have the biggest schlong. Hey, oh, very Do good. they make them that big, John? Thanks is for the, the call, John. Do they? Like a baby's arm. <laughs> Stop it. Roger on the south side. Yeah, why not bring in the uh, future law firm? That you know, whatever civil rights litigation firm that she's probably going to be working for in, I don't know, about six months. I mean, because, I mean, that's truly what you're going to see. I mean, you'll see this woman back civil when she rights. doesn't make her own wait, primary. Wait, wait. Go go back to Mayor oh. Brown, where she was a partner. But speaking of that, yeah, what about, hey, Kirkland and yeah. Ellis? You yeah. got some big Democrats at the top of Kirkland yeah. and Ellis and Winston and yeah, Strawn right. and Mayor Brown. Come, come on. Why, Sidley, why, 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 where's the cheerleading? Doesn't she have any friends up there? I agree. I agree. And I'll say this, too, lastly, about her, you know, what as far as what she's done. I find it weird on the issue when Wilson brought up about, oh, the whole, where it's hunt them down like rabbits. Yeah. Where is the weird connection? Maybe you two could help me on this with, um, she's very sensitive to young black and brown males. Now, she is an admitted lesbian, right? Uh, she has a wife, yes. That's been established. It's just in uh, Lori Lightfoot her, her is Amy. a lesbian. Yes. yes. Okay, sure, yeah. You heard uh, it here first. It's very weird. I can't figure out how a black lesbian woman has such a it's – a re, it's a real setup with her that there's not going to be we, – we cannot do this to black and brown men. I disagree. She, if, if anybody disagrees with her, it doesn't matter your gender or your Thanks sexual call, orientation. Roger. She doesn't. She she gets pissed, and she'll let you know. She doesn't. If you any pushback at all, she cannot handle. And yeah, that that's I right. think has been I her biggest right. problem. Whether it's reporters or corporate leaders, anything at all that's negative, and she snaps right away. She never got that under control. Yeah, I think that's fair. Bob Buffalo Grove. Uh, good morning, uh, Dan and Amy. Um, some numbers from a year. Maybe you can verify it. How's uh, Magnificent Mile doing? Awful. I heard a number, uh, 30% of businesses are uh, empty on the Ag Mile. 37%, Bob, 37% now. And State okay, Street other, is awful. Oh. One, one other thing. On the flip side, uh, Tuesday I happened to go downtown or drive by downtown on the Kennedy and uh, Dan Ryan and I'm seeing all these tower cranes and all these new buildings going up. What's going on? Where are these people coming from? Where are these businesses going to um, – there's new office buildings going up. Um, I don't understand it. 
Exactly. So That's right. Which so, just smoke part of the smoke and mirrors. So, so where's the associated good cheer? Right? Yeah, I mean it's just amazing. All all these buildings, I can't, I don't understand it. Are they going to be empty or or, or or what? Who are these people and who are these businesses? Thanks I thought if you call, build Mom. it, they will come. That's her thing. If you build it, because there's some. I mean, people aren't even back at work for God's sakes from from COVID. Downtown's dead. There you go. Look at those tower cranes that Bob yeah. saw and be more sanguine and you'll see more tower cranes. It's your personal attitude. It's the power of positive thinking. It's Norman Vincent Peale or Richard Simmons, whoever you like. Uh, you just have to be positive and sweat to the oldies and the businesses and the people will come. Stop being a negative, uh, you know, a nattering nabob of negativism. It's a perception problem in Chicago. That's it. So business leaders, whoever you are, wherever you are, perk up and start raising a glass to Lori Lightfoot's tenure and where Chicago finds itself right now. And then, you know, Southwest Florida will relocate back to the Windy City. No problem. That's all it takes. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The uh, migrants in Manhattan are getting restless and so are the natives. A survey of New Yorkers, Quinnipiac poll. Oh, heavens. Oh, what do we have, Dan? It's Martha's Vineyard all over again. Oh. 63% of New York City voters, <laughs> and you know what great judgment they have, don't think the Big Apple has the ability to accommodate any more asylum seekers. Oh. Well, they shouldn't be a sanctuary city then. Seven in ten think it's a crisis. For the five bureau, uh, boroughs that more than 40,000 migrants seeking sanctuary have arrived in the city since last year, hey, send them upstate. That's the rallying cry of New York City residents. Yeah. Yeah, send them to North Country. Get them out of here. <laughs> to the Catskills, maybe? Yeah. People there would love that. Sure. They can enjoy Pat Cooper. Is he still alive? <laughs> um, the uh, Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh, they may be a filming of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm-hmm. Um, well. What do you mean you don't have enough room at the end? What What do you mean New York City 
can't accommodate migrants. And uh, it's a fun scene now because as uh, reporters are on site to document the migrants' protestations, now you have advocates on the left for the migrants uh, getting frisky with the leftist media over their documentation of the undocumented. So there's this three-star hotel where a lot of males have been staying, not families, and they're Eric Hell's Adams, kitchen. yeah, wants to kitch, kick them out and move them to a brand new shelter. Um, and they don't want, they don't like that shelter. No, the they showers don't. are bad. Oh no, here, here's here's a guy. Okay, ready? He came from Colombia. For all men, it's only four bathrooms. If one gets sick, everyone gets oh, sick. Yeah. It's very ugly. The beds are horrible. They're a piece of fabric. They're like a military bed. Well, uh, too oh, so sad, too bad. I mean, now I'm starting to think that we've been taken for a ride here. I don't want to live here. I don't want to live there, but we have to pay for it. Well, I mean, you you want humane conditions. What do you? What do you? Oh. This is this sounds like children in cages almost. No, that couldn't happen on the watch of Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul. Migrants, persecuted people, being offered less than humane accommodations. That doesn't sound like the left that I know. All right, here's a hotel worker. This is what's really going on inside the hotel. Chaos, total chaos. I mean, there's no accountability. The city is so-called running the program, um, allows these people to destroy these rooms. This is not your home. Um, unfortunately, uh, the ones that are paying the prize is the hotel workers, uh, local six union workers. Those guys and those ladies um, endure a lot of disrespect from the migrants. And there is some nice migrants, but sure. there's too much alcohol, too much drugs, oh. and too much violence. Oh. Well, it sounds like a furries convention. Um, so, you know, uh, again, there are hotels that want, oh, the union, the union workers don't like it. Oh, well, boy. they're being disrespectful to them, and that was Felipe Rodriguez. The, the union the workers. Yeah. The union workers. Oh. Yeah. Fold right in. Another group that doesn't like the consequences of their policy choices and associated political ones. Uh, The Holiday Inn there, the tallest Holiday Inn in the free world, 52-story Holiday Inn there, they want the business. That's 93 grand a day for them to house these migrants, and they get to charge more than they're charging uh, right now in terms of the uh, average daily rate. So. No, there's a there's a demand in some quarters, and there's a uh, there's a lack of demand or rejection outright in other quarters. But hey, you know that's just the marketplace. I say if they don't move, deport them, because they're all living on the sidewalk in front of this hotel because they want to go back in the hotel. Uh, uh, excuse me, it's ridiculous. This is a sanctuary city. W- would you deport the five thousand migrants who've arrived to Chicago? It's a sanctuary city. Well, th- this is how sad the county, it's, the state oh, of Illinois. Yeah, isn't it, is New York State a sanctuary state? I'm sure it is. Yeah. Well, here, so, what, what are you talking about? What deporting? You can, I feel they, like they, I'm being taken for a ride. But you, I feel you like don't, this, you you don't know, live in New York. No, but we've been in, they've been incentivized to come to this country. I think that you know their hardship stories might have been greatly exaggerated if they're complaining about the bed sheets and the new shelter might be well, a little. So, too I'm rough. sorry. I'm sorry. This is what they want. Why are you so insistent on depriving people? Of what they desire. They've expressed their desires through their duly elected representatives. 
So let them have what they want. Why are you being so obstructionist? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You can also text us at 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. And it's gotten so bad that Mayor Eric Adams inviting the media to come tour the shelter. And listen to all the amenities, Dan. It doesn't matter if it's Ellis Island or the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal or any of our ports. Uh, it is all rooted in an American dream. You pursue the dream here. And when you meet someone like Wilson and you walk through, I just had to come here when I started hearing all the rumors about it was too cold. Uh, <laughs> my brother got on shorts. He's inside. It's warm inside. It's too, it's too uh, cold for about, shorts. That's the uh, problem. The food not being there. Uh, you know, healthy food is presence. Even the snacks are healthy. We just need to That's stop the problem. The They're healthy. We want pizza. There's ping pong in there. There's pool table in there. There's TVs. It's a beautiful kitchen. I mean, what's wrong? They get fed. So, they don't even have to cook their own food. This, uh, I sound bad. I mean, oh. I mean, do do we do do I have to cite the new Colossus? Where is your inner Emma Lazarus? Eric Adams is doing the Martha's Vineyard two step. Uh, of course, this is welcoming. Now we need you to leave. Uh, we have been forever moved by your day here. But now it's time for you to go somewhere else. Okay, uh, how about the Hamptons? I would throw them out at all, on Long Island. The Hamptons, there's plenty of room at those ends. They're big, big mansions. Uh, the, well, personally, yeah. I just think people should be a little more appreciative. I mean, my friends that came here from I think, Serbia who are now American uh, citizens, you know, they, they're like, if they're not grateful, they can leave. No, exactly the opposite. New Yorkers should be more grateful. Oh, that they've them. chosen the Big Apple. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. We, they're a welcoming community. Just as I'm sure the Hamptons, if there was a, a, you know, a, a overture to the Hamptons, I'm sure all of those trillionaires would be welcoming because that's who they are. That's who they tell us they are. I, I just want people to be able to fulfill their desires. They've expressed their desires. Yeah. So uh, uh, <laughs> far be it for me to step in front of anybody's dreams or dreamers. Matt in Oak Lawn, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Um, there's actually two parts to the story. One involves Amy, but uh, in 2005, really, we went down to we yeah. went down to Houston for the yeah. World Series. I know this, and story. it was like a dozen guys, and. We find a hotel, and it was it was the only cheap hotel in Houston. And it was like, oh wow, how did we get this? We're so awesome. Turns to find out, it was all people from New Orleans, and it was just like a Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane I know animal house. It was. I mean, the, and, the uh, room next to me had eleven children in it. So I had to. I'm not one of those people, but I had to call the front desk and change hotels. And you were deported. We <laughs> we had to change hotels. But Amy, yeah. can I tell you what happened on that trip? What? We're in a tavern. The day of Game Four. And there's a group of guys from Chicago on the other side of the bar, and they weren't that much fun. And you come walking in, and you go and interview them. And we're like, you've got to be kidding me. Those guys are on the news. These guys were, they were brutal. So there's no way you remember this. I go and grab a broom out of the bathroom, or I'm sorry, out of the kitchen. And I come out, and I start sweeping up around you. And I was, I was brushing your feet with the broom. And you're like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm sweeping Houston out of the World Series. Uh-huh. Like, put this guy on the news. So you put me on the news that day. And uh, it was you know, whatever. My mom and dad got to wow. saw that we were drunk at two in the yeah. afternoon. And I actually remember that. That was Matt from Oklahoma. That was your that was your brush with greatness. That's your brush that with was greatness. My story. Seconds of fame. Yeah. But he, what he's saying is, you yeah. know, these hotels. It was a you know 
We, I know. What was the name of that hotel? I can't remember. Was it the Ritz? The Howard Johnson? No. I, I don't know. NBC spent a lot of money. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Matt. Oh yeah, back in yeah. the heady days when NBC was flush. Oof. And you and Anna DeBlantis and Natalie Martinez ruled the town. I remember. John Garcia, the Rat Pack. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Heady days. Yeah. Who else was in our group? Chris and Carrie. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. You know, um, Dan, this is what you said. Like, this is what we wanted. This is what we got. Well, I didn't vote for this, so I got a solution. Take every registered Democrat or look back look back at the voting logs, and, and if you voted Democrat, you've essentially asked for this. So spread all the payments out over the Democratic voters, not the Republican voters, and let's see how long that lasts. They'd be going ape crazy. Thanks for the call, Chris. Uh, Mike in Union. I mean, come on. Maybe, maybe Mayor Lightfoot can get in there and give everybody a pep talk and be an arbitrator between both sides, and you know everything will be just fine. All the problems yeah. will go away. There's nothing to see here. And then maybe she could have a dance party afterwards for everybody and show everybody her moves and you know karaoke too, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, get yeah. a cowboy out there, maybe you know up and down yeah. the street. Everything's everything's good. It's you a know? party. So, good Thanks day. for the call, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I like. Yeah. Turning uh, lemons into, you know, something approximating lemonade. Tom in Blue Island. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Is it just possible that this is a revelation that these people coming up here was not, the, they weren't these the people. organic migrants starving for employment that everyone has been talking about, and maybe they were just promised some things by... I don't know, Dan or Amy, I don't know how many groups, but get yourself up here and you're going to get this, this, and this. And now they're seeing that that's not occurring. And I think they probably feel they have some justification for being, uh, whatever they're doing, whatever you want to call what they're doing, rioting, if it's going to get to that at some point, who knows? Well, I got to get them off the Thanks streets. The call, Tom. I really think their hardships might've been greatly exaggerated. Maybe some to of them. Get we, to this country. I don't know. The way that guy was uh, getting a little mouthy, like, I don't like the sheets. Are you kidding yeah. me? Well, go get a job and then buy your own sheets. I mean, our tax dollars are going to this, folks, and nobody seems to care. Well, he's, you know, he's just, he's just trying to get uh, asylum here and a work permit so he can go get that job and buy my buy pillow sheets. thread count sheets. Yeah. There's a Giza get, Dream bed sheet. Get a my pillow topper. Yeah. Like every, every, everyone's dream. To have a my pillow topper, um, yeah. No, I don't. I don't. Hey, look, uh, people yeah. respond to incentives, and yeah. the incentives that have been presented by this administration and so many of these uh, governors and mayors and states like New York and Illinois and California is, come on, come all, uh, open borders. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about border patrol. Uh, Rhode Island uh, High School raising money to pay off a coyote that trafficked uh, somebody, oh, that's right. some family to their to their community and the kid to their school. And I, I'm not blaming the family or the kid, but um, that's the people are responding to the incentives. You say I don't have to remain in Mexico pending the outcome of my asylum application. Okay, I won't. I'll go. I got friends, or I'd always like to see New York or Chicago or or. Uh, or Kamala Harris's residence in D.C., so why not? I mean, I don't, I don't blame people who want to come to this country from, you know, a country that's been devastated by 
Marxists like Venezuela, for example. I don't blame them. Don't blame them. This isn't about the migrants. This is about certain electorates and the certain people they put in office. And uh, the slow learners here aren't the migrants. They're the Americans. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin owes his governorship to the parental revolt that occurred in Virginia. Yes, in the schools, but not limited to the schools. The parental revolt against every institution, including law enforcement and the uh, judicial system that would separate parents from their children illegitimately. And so the uh, Republicans in the Virginia House of Delegates have introduced a bill called SAGE's Law with the aim of protecting children from groomers, schools, and sex traffickers. Seems pretty reasonable. Oh, boy. And the law itself, here's all it requires. It requires anyone licensed as administrative or instructional personnel by the Board of Education and employed by a local school board to inform at least one parent of a student's gender confusion and to ask whether a parent is aware of the student's mental state and whether the parent wishes to obtain or has already obtained counseling for such student. The bill makes it clear that declining to use a minor's preferred name or pronouns cannot be construed as child abuse. Does that seem commonsensical? Uh, don't hide a kid's situation from mom and or dad. Enlist mom and or dad to make sure they're aware of it. Doesn't seem too onerous. No. The uh, law, as proposed, is named after Sage. It's called Sage's Law. Sage's mom, adoptive mom, testified about what happened to Sage and uh, thus her obvious support for Sage's Law. This is a bit long, but we need to hear all of it. You need to hear all of it. And you need to share it. I am Sage's mother, better known as Nana. I adopted Sage after my son died when she was still a baby. She's been through six foster homes by then, but we loved her. And she blossomed into a joyful, lively girl who made music and art. Pu puberty began and COVID hit. And she was treated for depression and anxiety, at times very severe. Her teachers shared any concerns with me so her treatment could be adapted. The transparency ended in August of 2021 when Sage started high school. She started a public high school and she told me that all the girls there were bi, trans, lesbian, emo, and she wanted to wear boys clothes and be emo. Because I saw it as just a phase, it was fine with me. But at school, she told them something different. She was now a boy named Brooke Draco with male pronouns. Sage asked the school not to tell me, and they did not tell me, even though I informed them of her mental health history and medication. If I had known, this would be a much different story. She was terribly bullied. No one told me, but boys followed her, touched her, threatened violence and rape. 
Something happened in the boys' bathroom, but for two days, the school told me nothing. They kept meeting with Sage alone, and she became so distraught, they called me to pick her up. That evening, I found a hall pass labeled Draco, and Sage told me she was identifying as a boy and that her counselor said she could use the boys' bathroom. She'd been jacked up against the wall by a group of boys. She was crying, terrified. I said, just stay home. We'll figure it out. That was my last conversation with Sage for five months. The night she ran, she thought to a young friend she'd met online. She left a note saying she was scared of what would happen if she stayed. The sheriff, FBI, search dogs were called in. I dropped to my knees in prayer. Nine days later, the FBI found her in Baltimore. My baby had been lured online, sex trafficked by DC, then Maryland. She was locked in a room, drugged, gang raped and brutalized by countless men. It was night. The FBI told us to pick her up in Maryland the next morning. We packed our cars with blankets and stuffed animals and, and arrived by 8 a.m. But we were told we couldn't see her and were summoned before Judge Robert Kershaw late that afternoon. They didn't even tell Sage that we came for her. We finally entered the courtroom and Sage appears on a huge Zoom screen from a prison cell. She looks tiny and broken and I cry out, I love you, Sage. Sage responds, I love you too, Nana. But attorney Anissa Khan rebukes us. She is a he and his name is Draco, not Sage. We were floored, what? Khan accuses, of, accuses us of emotional and physical abuse that we are misgendering her. Even though we just learned she claims to be trans and we're willing to use any name and pronouns to bring her home, my husband was so tearful he kept forgetting the new pronouns, so the judge had the bailiff remove him from the courtroom. I was pleading for my child to be returned and treated for her unspeakable trauma. Judge Kershaw told me if I used the word trauma again, he would throw me out too. For over two months, he withheld custody. He housed Sage in, the male, in a male quarters of a children's home. Sage told me she was the only girl and repeatedly assaulted. She was given street drugs by the other kids and Khan told her she didn't care. She just wanted to win the case and all the way to Supreme Court if necessary. Khan tried to prove abuse, but we were eventually cleared by both states of all charges. Sage later told me Khan had told her to lie, that we hit her. Khan even had Sage's school counselors testify against us, though they barely knew Sage, and they didn't know us at all. Khan told my precious child I didn't want her anymore. I found out Sage never received any of the letters I sent her. Sage ran from the children's home and disappeared for months. They told me she might already be gone forever, but I couldn't give up and I finally found a tip on her social media that led the marshals to her in Texas. She had been drugged, raped, beaten, and exploited. This time I was able to be with her for the traumatic rape exam and to bring her home. Back in Virginia, she entered the mental health facility that Judge Kershaw had ordered, as it would affirm her as a male. The therapist began pressuring her to have her healthy breasts removed. Sage was too scared to protest. But she asked me to secretly buy her girls' clothes because she wanted to be a girl, but keep them in the car. 
It took a kind lawyer, Josh Hetzler, to secure her discharge. After almost a year, Sage was finally home, safe, alive. Sage is receiving professional trauma care. The first trafficker has already been convicted. Sage has nightmares, panic attacks, rape-related medical issues, but there's hope. I told her she's not broken, she's just scarred. And part of that hope is that in courageously sharing her story, others will be saved. Sage said she doesn't know who she was back then. She wasn't a boy. She just wanted to have friends. But her school, the judge, the attorney, and the doctor were all blinded by their ideology. The consequences for Sage were unspeakable. Please don't let ideology harm another child. Let parents do our jobs. We know our children best, and we love them a million times more. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. So, uh, who do you want to ally with? Do you want to ally with Sage's mom or the LGBTQ ideologues in charge of all these institutions? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text Does line. anybody care what we're doing to our children? Look at how like a pronoun then leads into this and now human trafficking and well, scarred just, for the rest of your life. It's just a pronoun. It's just a name. Starts as that. Yep. It's just what happens at school versus what happens at home. So um, just to recap, she's encouraged to live as a boy after she adopts a trans persona to fit in in high school. She tried to use the boys' bathroom, got beat up, and worse. Assaulted. She ran away, sex trafficked online because she's a kid who doesn't know anything. The judge at the hearing where her adoptive parents showed up to get her back home threw dad out because he's distraught and he's not complying with the pronoun nomenclature of the day, threatens the mom because she's using the word trauma, which is actually appropriate in this instance. The judge puts her in a boy's home where she's sexually abused. The lawyer, according to mom, and I believe mom, is just using her as a, this case as a cause celeb for her own career, hiding letters that the family sent to Sage. And the doctor told her to cut off her breasts. And thankfully, by that time, Sage is afraid enough about these people that are supposed to, they're telling her they're there to provide for her safety and security and best interests that she doesn't do that. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it takes this is a common refrain. I don't know exactly what it takes to penetrate otherwise reasonable people, the minds of otherwise reasonable people, fair-minded people, people that don't want to be a party to any of this, but are a party to it because they want to be an ally. They don't want to be shamed. They don't want to be labeled intolerant by the ignorant. I don't know what it takes. If that story doesn't make you rethink some of your position with respect to 
this radical identitarian outfit, and I do use the word outfit in a criminal sense, then I, I don't know what will. It's a moneymaker, all these surgeries. It's fraught with danger. Bill and Waukegan, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to say that I am so blessed and thankful that my three children now are, are now adults because I tell you, listening to that lady, it killed me. It was, um, I, I have so much sympathy and so much caring for her that, it, you know, if she had a GoFundMe page, I would be, I would be, you know, donating money right now. But I just want to say thank you for putting that on. I, I am so grateful that I don't have to raise children in this kind of environment today because I don't think, you know, there's no way I would be talking to you now. I'd be in a jail cell somewhere. And uh, I tell you what, having to uh, pick some other friends. But thank you for putting that on, Dan and Amy. And I love you guys. Have a great day. Oh, thanks, thanks, Bill. Got a text message. We're fighting a system of pure evil. That judge should be in jail for life. Does it... Uh place renewed importance in your mind on those April 4th school board elections uh, about this issue, not just in the school board election context, but in the 2024 elections. This is a, a going to be a pitch battle for a long time because we've allowed it to get so out of control. Why can't teachers just go back to academic instruction? Well, you're going to need leadership. Like okay. the Virginia House of Delegates, the Republicans there at least are trying to provide with Sage's Law, which to, I mean, it couldn't be a more commonsensical piece of legislation. And there couldn't be a more horrific illustration of the lack of accountability in the system, systems, schools, criminal justice, couldn't be a more horrific example of the lack of accountability in those systems than that case. Uh, other than had Sage died, which sounds like it was touch and go for sure the better did. part of the last two years. And then would they celebrate a suicide like that one doctor did? Yeah, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Yeah. Eminent yeah. scholar. Tina and Joliet. Hi, guys. Hey, um, every single time I hear... Pritzker talk about, how, uh, you know, free preschool. I think of these kind of stories. They want full access and control of your child from as early as possible or as long as possible. And if we don't change this system or, and get our kids away from these people, we're, there are going to be many, many more stories like that one. And that was absolutely gut-wrenching gut-wrenching and i i we're having an event next week at bourbon street um uh shana agcock is is part of it and gays against groomers and a, a bunch of other organizations um at i believe it's at six o'clock at bourbon street uh and and that's what we're going to be talking about how to protect children from this this onslaught of evil and it is pure evil amy whoever sent you that text, that's exactly what it is. And I pray to God people recognize what's going on and do. I have a three-year-old granddaughter and I, I'm hustling different side jobs because there's no way I'm sending her to public school. Absolutely not over my dead body. Hey, Tina, didn't and, you try to have this event in Des Plaines and then they had a emergency city council meeting because people were afraid? 
Yeah, they've already started sending um, uh, threatening letters to Bourbon Street telling them that, you know, uh, Shannon Adcock is a hate monger and a bigot and blah, 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 blah. So they're do they're pulling the same thing there, um, but it's going forward. And uh, I hope as many people as possible can get there. Six o'clock Wednesday, February eighth at Bourbon Street. A uh, great panel of of advocates for parents and children. Thanks for the call, Tina. Thanks, Tina. Free speech for some, not for others, but that's the way it goes in Illinois, huh? I remember back in 2018. When Jeannie Ives ran against Bruce Rauner for oh, governor, I remember, and uh, and I was, you know, basically a consultant on that campaign, and uh, we, so I'll include myself, we did that spot about uh, thank you Bruce Rauner, sort of parroting the thank you Bruce Rauner commercial that Bruce Rauner put up from the governors uh, in the Midwest. So you know what a great job he did as, as he repeatedly stabbed conservatives in the back and did uh, horrific things signed horrific legislation and one of the thank you bruce Rauner was of course the uh, the uh trend the 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 trans the man in women's garb saying thank you bruce Rauner for opening pandora's box here to gender identity politics which he did and oh oh my oh, national people. oh my god uh, excoriated somebody showed up at genie ives house a trans person threatened her actually was really? prosecuted after the fact uh, in DuPage County, um, and um, de- death threats. So somebody showed up at her house. Somebody else left death threats on her on her voicemail, and that person who left death threats on her voicemail was prosecuted by Barbara Lynn. But anyway, um, yeah, all the hue and cry, and that was intolerant, and it was hateful, and it's a misrepresentation of of the road that we are we have now embarked upon. What do you think now? Which, which side is intolerant? Which side is dangerous? Which side is misrepresenting their views and the other side's views? Hmm. It's painful to be ahead of the learning curve. Jim in St. Joe, Michigan. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Thank you for playing uh, what you did and I agree with the one gentleman that called in. I'm, I'm glad my, my children are out of school. But I just want to encourage people that over here in Michigan, and I can't remember, there's two organizations, but parents are really starting to get together and go to these school board meetings. And a lot of school board members in some of these schools have not been reelected and some have been recalled. So people need to get motivated. They need yeah. to keep their ears to the ground. And they need to say, you know what? I'm not going to take this anymore. You either stop this or, and you know what? What really hurts the schools is when you pull your student out, they lose that money. Yeah, that's right. They Thanks do. for the call, Jim. Appreciate it. Well, one of them was uh, all those dads, Muslim uh, community coming out, uh, the dads coming out to the school board meeting saying oh, that, that, Heights, yeah, that yeah. this is not, no, no, no. This is not going to happen with our kids in this school. Not yeah. going to happen. And um, yeah, it's important. very strict religious it's, people. It's important that the dads show up too. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between five and nine in the morning than you guys. On AM five sixty, the answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM five sixty. 
The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I don't know about you, but uh, I am still on such a high from the World Economic Forum. Oh, yeah. The other week. Oh. It was really a great moment for you. You've waited your lifetime for that, really. It was uh, so motivating, you know. Um, and you learned uh, a lot, right? I know I'm not doing enough. Well, I didn't realize how dire the situation was because uh, all of Al Gore's apocalyptic predictions have failed to materialize. But I got to tell you, he was he was really persuasive. I think I think he's right this time. If you look at all the new electricity generation installed worldwide, 90 percent of it was renewable. It's now the cheapest source of electricity in almost the entire uh, planet. Uh, secondly, uh, electric vehicles for the transportation sector. The penetration has reached the 10 percent level in multiple geographies. That's the point where you often see an inflection uh, going much higher. Norway's already at 50%. All the automakers are going in that direction. Business uh, is leading. Andrew and Mark, of course, uh, are two wonderful examples. There are many others. And in the uh, WEF this year, I have noticed a, a huge increase in the amount of passion and, uh, and attention being paid by CEOs and other business leaders. It is for real. But and it's these are exciting times because so much is at stake. Up all these promises of the last few years to cut emissions, emissions are still going up. When are we going to bring these emissions down? And and just to put the science in a, a slightly different context, people are familiar with that thin blue line that the uh, astronauts bring back in their pictures from space. That's the that's the part of the atmosphere that has oxygen, the troposphere. Uh, and it's only five to seven kilometers thick. That's what we're using as an open sewer. If you could drive a car straight up in the air at interstate highway speeds, you'd get to the top of that blue line in five minutes. And all the greenhouse gas pollution would be below you. We're still putting 162 million tons into it every single day. And the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. Oh, my Skip, calm down. Now, uh, could you get to the troposphere any faster in a combustion engine car that you drove straight up? Uh, John Kerry uh, was there as well. Obviously, our environmentals are. you got to say it. Um, Why the and, face? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Sorry. I had to no, digress. It's, yeah. it's great, yeah. It's a great line. And, you know, it's just it's wonderful that all the planet savers could get together and you know i'm just honored to know of them that these people exist and when you stop and think about it it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives are able to sit in a room and come together 
and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy, tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do <laughs> Not me, not me. And, and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are. Can you imagine these t- people who've been touched? Uh, yeah. And by the way, I think that was the line that Al Gore used to use on the masseuses at hey. the hotels. He stay. Uh, for uh, more on this uh, congregation of planet savers and all that they offered, including the the urgency of now. Pleased to be joined by our friend Bjorn Lumberg, who is the head of the Copenhagen Consensus Center and a polar bear denier. Uh, Bjorn Lumberg, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Do we have Bjorn Lumberg? Bjorn Bjorn. Hey, Dan, and it's good to be on this time for real. Uh, I can well, hear you. Yeah. Okay, great. Very good. Uh, good to have you back. But I have to I have to start with a uh, interrogation a bit because I want to know why you are denying the crisis that exists in the polar bear population by pointing to the number of polar bears that actually exist. Yes. So, you know, fundamentally, the point that I try to keep making is we're not going to make good judgments if we don't have good data. People want to tell you that, and, and I think a lot of people have this impression that there are actually fewer and fewer polar bears. But the reality is we fixed a lot of the polar bear problem because we stopped shooting so many of them. Uh, back in the 1960s, <laughs> we shot a lot of them, and we're now shooting a lot fewer. That's great, and that's why... Seems even like a simple solution, by the way, yeah. Yeah, these, <laughs> you know, the, the polar bear specialist group, which is the scientists are actually tasked to deal with us they find in their own numbers that we have probably gone from having about twelve thousand uh polar bears in the 1960s to now about twenty six thousand polar bears there's a huge uncertainty on this but even um, with the uncertainties they don't overlap we simply have more polar bears Now, this does not deny the fact that there is a problem with climate. It is probable that climate will also make it harder for polar bears in the future. But we need to know that it's not such that we have fewer and fewer polar bears. We have more and more. And the curious thing is all the people who are worried about climate just don't want you to hear that. And I can see why. Yeah, I mean, the good news is that the price of polar bear meat is going to come down, which I enjoy. Ah. Um, So, uh, yeah, but but what about but what about their habitat, Bjorn? You're not talking about their habitat. There's no ice in the Arctic. Well, and and the ice is diminishing in the Arctic, and that is potentially a problem. There's, as I understand, a a significant conversation within the polar bear community, whether that's actually going to be a net problem because of course productivity a bias for productivity will also go up in the in the arctic and that will probably also help the polar bears but the whole point here is to say we have been told that there are fewer and fewer polar bears that's just not the case also then we're being told oh the way to save polar bears is to shut down the entire global economy as it functions today and switch it out with solar panels and wind turbines which may work now I'm offering a slightly simpler argument. We are still every year shooting 700 polar bears. Every year we shoot 700 polar bears. I don't know about you, but instead of changing the entire global economy to help a couple of polar bears survive, maybe we should stop shooting 700 every year. 
that people. No, are they, are these, Bjorn, are these, why are we shooting the better. polar bears? Are they, yeah, are these like gangland shootings between rival polar bear uh, cohorts, or is this <laughs> yeah. like Chinese communists, or who's who's shooting them? Yeah. So it's it's mostly native uh, right. uh, uh, people uh, who are a lot at these. There's also some uh, tourist shootings uh, that you know, both of these bring in money, especially in Canada, uh, to the northern uh, uh, people up there. Uh, and of course, some of them are also in self-defense. Uh, so based on data from uh, Greenland, I estimate about five percent are in self-defense, and obviously you can't avoid those. Uh, but you know that well, that's going to leave us with that, that's going to be a, a challenge. That's going to be a challenge to that grade school drama teacher who's the prime minister in Canada because now he's going to have to choose between the desires of indigenous people and desires of polar bears. That's going to be a close call. Yes, but mm. you know fundamentally, we need to at least step back and realize more polar bears, not fewer polar bears. And if you want to help polar bears, maybe stop shooting them first. Yeah, yeah, that's. That's, That's right. Well, first, you know, sort of rank order prioritization. That makes but sense. But it doesn't fit the narrative. It doesn't. And that's, of course, why, you know, Facebook and others will continuously tell you, oh, you can't say that. Uh, and, and so absurdly, they sort of suggest, oh, we don't we don't actually know. All the data is unsure. But, you know, when uh, when a CNN journalist uh, 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 some years ago called up on them and asked him, What's up and down with this? Because he was worried about already back then. I pointed out there are a lot more polar bears. They all agree. Yeah, there probably is more polar bears. But, you know, they don't actually want to tell you and certainly not in public because that could confuse the public about what's the reality. We should all know that all bad things are getting, uh, you know, getting bigger and getting out of hand and all good things are getting less uh, with climate change. But that's just not how the (laughs) that's how, you know, Disney uh, 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 fiction works. This is not how the real world works. Well, we need to know the real reality. Well, Al Gore is no Disney character, that's for sure. And uh, if the indigenous people don't get them, then the rain bombs and the bubbling oceans are going to get them, right? I know. Isn't, isn't that amazing that he can, in all honesty, say the oceans are boiling? Uh, also, you know, he talks about how uh, how there are in, there could be. Uh, a billion people being refugees by uh, by the end of the century. Uh, the reality is they've made these predictions a lot of times before. Uh, only back in 2008, they said there would be 50 million uh, refugees by 2010. Uh, and then, of course, when that actually didn't happen, uh, they just scrubbed the website. Uh, it was a UN website. Uh, it, it went missing. And now they're just saying, oh, in 2100, there'll be a lot of refugees. Again, this is not to say global warming is not a problem. We should fix it smartly, but we should stop catastrophizing. This only scares our kids. It doesn't make for good decisions, and it's wrong. Well, on the refugee point as well, it seems to me from a cursory glance of the news of the last couple of years that the big refugee crises are generated by governments that kill their people, like in Venezuela. Well, it's certainly that. It's also just the fact that it's become a lot cheaper to move yourself from a poor country to a rich country. So obviously, we're going to have more people who would like to move. Uh, and, and if we can do this well-ordered, that might actually be a good idea. But certainly, we should stop saying the way to fix the uh, migrant uh, problem is to, again, you know, change the entire global economy and stop emitting CO2. And hopefully, in 100 years, that'll have a marginal effect. That's just simply, that's ridiculous. Again, there is a real problem, but the way it's being uh, uh, talked about, as you also point out in, in World Economic Forum, it makes us you know, dumb. It's just not the right way to think about this, and it doesn't lead us to make 
good and smart decisions. So um, the troposphere is not uh, the the Earth's uh, garbage dump, and they're not sixty thousand Hiroshima sized nuclear bombs going off, atomic bombs going off there. Uh, well, whatever, that that, whatever that particular said. Uh, that, yeah, that, that that particular statistic is technically true, um, but you know, it, it's of course just meant to scare because what you have to realize is that every time the sun comes out, it's like you know trillions of nuclear bombs went off but we don't think of it that, that we we think of it ooh sun is out let's go out and you know sunbathe uh, it's it's simply designed to make you scared uh and again talking about a, a, a sewage uh, 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 storage is just simply you know a, a ridiculous way of, of saying there is a real problem but remember also co2 is also plant food we know that the world has greened significantly uh, so, you know, we estimate if you take the number of uh, the area of leaves, that's how researchers do this, uh, the area of leaves across the world have increased so much that it's equivalent to about three times the continental U.S. That's an enormous amount of extra green stuff in the world. We should be happy about that. There are some things that are bad about climate. There are some things that are good. Overall, the bad outweigh the good. That's why it's a problem. But you know, stop using this emotive language that really only goes to scare kids and make bad decisions. Well, maybe we're going to have to uh, turn off the sun, ultimately. That's the only way forward, <laughs> yes, right? No. That is the only way. Yeah. No, please don't do that. But yeah, there's no right. way to take this back. I mean, kids are really are panic-stricken about the environment, thinking that they're not going to make it till past college, you know, if they're starting it's, in exactly. middle school I mean, right now. It's a thing. Exactly. I, but, but I think there is a way to take this back because oh. it is about showing them these very clear data. Actually, there's more polar bears compared to what you thought, that there are fewer and fewer polar bears. Okay. Uh, one of the graphs that I keep pointing out, look, again, I'm a data guy. I believe actually facts do matter. Uh, but if you look at the number of people that die from climate-related disasters, so that's floods, droughts, storms, wildfires, and, and extreme temperatures, we have good data over the last 100 years. A hundred years ago, every year, about half a million people died from these sorts of catastrophes. Last year, that number was down to 11,000 people. Why? Because we're richer and then more resilient. We're actually much better able to protect everyone. We should show every school kid this graph that fundamentally things are going in the right direction. Again, it doesn't mean that there's no problem with climate change, but it means this is not the end of the world. It is something that we are actually really good at managing, especially, of course, if you live in the poor part of the world, where if you get rich, you get out from corrugated roofs and into real buildings. And when a hurricane hits, you're no longer drowning or dead, but you actually survive. And we just need to get these basic points back. What about uh, data on one of the other favorite mascots? How many tortoises the world over have straws in their no nostrils? Do you know at present? <laughs> I do not know yeah, that. Yeah, but again, huh. but again, we we we. I, I think it's it's so amazing that we're so focused on plastic garbage in the ocean, wow. which you know, is a problem. And we should recognize most of the plastic garbage is there because we recycled. We decided we were going to recycle, but oh, we didn't want to pay for mean? it, so we sent it to Vietnam and China and elsewhere. And of course, you know, dubious sources there sometimes decide it was cheaper just to dump it in the ocean. Right. Uh, but the reality is again. What is more important than plastic stores? That's, for instance, air pollution. Air pollution is by far the biggest environmental problem globally, both indoor and outdoor air pollution. This is the kind of thing that we need to tackle if we care about the environment. 
way before we worry about plastic straws and many other things. We we've seemed to have lost our sense of proportion and proportionality and and you know sense of priority. I got to tell you, I am a certified scuba diver, and what I'm seeing in the ocean are masks and not straws. Yeah. I'm not kidding well, if, you. If you, and I'm going to yeah, take you, pictures look, of it next there, time I go, but I, it's unbelievable. We need to mask all the sea yeah. life so they well, don't catch COVID. They dumped them all. I mean, everybody's wearing masks and throwing away. I mean, we have billions of them across, I mean, we, around we, the world. There was, there, was, there was a study in Nature that actually looked at what is the plastic uh, garbage. And it's not plastic stores or plastic bags or anything else, as you point out. It is fishing equipment. By far the biggest problem in the oceans is fishing equipment. Uh, and that's going to be very hard to do anything about because it's not like fishermen wants to get rid of their nets. It happens with accidents. Uh, but, but again, you know, we need to get a sense of proportion. What matters most? You know, plastic straws and those kinds of things that probably kill a few people and, and kill some uh, uh, animals. Or air pollution that still you know, kills what, somewhere between five and six million people every year. We should probably prioritize that first. Uh, how were you received when you presented at the World Economic Forum? I'm not invited to the not invited. World Economic really? Forum. Not invited? Really? Strange. <laughs> That's wild. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, Harvard University history professor uh, James Hankins had a, a good piece in the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago. He had an idea for Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans. Uh, have debates that don't exist anywhere anymore because everybody goes to their silos and nobody wants to engage with anybody they disagree with. So, and he mentioned your name specifically. So, you know, bring in uh, Al Gore, John Kerry, Greta Thunberg, whoever, and bring in Bjorn Lumberg and let them have a debate in public view in the well of the, the House uh, on the various issues that we've discussed today and other issues related to the climate. Would you be amenable to something like that certainly don't want to do that why would he do that i mean he has a great following lots of people why would he be challenged on this but absolutely we need this conversation we need to hear the facts and then make smart policy he is bjorn lumberg president of the copenhagen consensus center author of the book false alarm how climate change panic costs us trillions hurts the poor and fails to fix the planet bjorn always a pleasure thanks for joining us wonderful to talk to you Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, remember back when the alleged Hunter Biden laptop was discovered, well, it was presented by that uh, Delaware repair shop owner, John Paul McIsaac. Uh, Hunter Biden uh, went on the talkies and said this about his alleged laptop. Yeah, I have no idea. So could have been yours. Of course, certainly. It, 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 there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. Sure. Oh. So, or, or that I dropped off. I mean, my uh, laptops are everywhere. Remember, Who he knows? dropped off three, not one, because we have that store owner on our show, and he has a new book out, which I've ordered on Amazon. I can't wait to get. And uh, he, it was the fascinating interview with that store owner. Well, we have some breaking news. What? The Hunter Biden laptop. Yeah. Is, in fact, Hunter Biden's laptop. Oh, my God. Gosh. And that's not me saying it. That's Hunter Biden saying it in a letter that uh, his attorneys penned to the Delaware attorney general crying about uh, the weaponization of his the private contents of his laptop, which 
ostensibly are part of an FBI investigation into Hunter Biden and perhaps Biden Inc. He never but, picked uh, it up, so it's whatever. yeah. Okay. He's but he's he's now authenticated, and in that letter, which was beautifully written, I thought it was nice of Hunter Biden that he included some blow art for the De- Delaware <laughs> Attorney General to put up in her office, which was nice. Sweeten the pot it's a, a little collector's bit. Collector's item, yeah. Uh, for more on this and other matters, including his uh, candidacy for the United States Senate, we're pleased to be joined by Congressman Jim Banks. Congressman Banks, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good to be with you. That was quite a lead up to me. Yeah. Uh, well, go- well, I just glad thought to you be should. With you. The Bidens are the mo- the Bidens are the most corrupt family to ever occupy the White House. We should never forget it, and the laptop proves it. So I'm glad he's finally admitting the the truth that it's his. Yeah, but yeah, now I just he thought, wants to thought file. You guys should know. Yeah, now yeah. he wants to file a defamation lawsuit against Fox News and Tucker Carlson because he's you know they want them to co- make corrections of some of the coverage on his laptop. Yeah, he's being defamed. The laptop proves without a shadow of a doubt that the Biden family was taking millions of dollars from our biggest enemies, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, the corrupt oligarchs in Russia and Ukraine. And and we knew all along the big guy was skimming 10 percent off the top. So now that we have a Republican majority, we have to investigate. We have to hold the Bidens accountable and uh, bring all of this out into the daylight so the American people know what they told us was Russian propaganda, remember, before the Trump-Biden election in, in uh, November of 2020. This was Russian propaganda. Now they're admitting it's the truth. Uh, and um, do you have confidence in uh, your colleague, Congressman Jim Comer, and perhaps in uh, collaboration with Jim Jordan to get to the bottom of this? And even if we can't get um, law enforcement agencies to act, at least the American public will know before 2024? You know, I, I really do. I mean, if there if there's ever been the right guy in the right place at the right time, it's Jim Jordan chairing the House Judiciary Committee and James Comer as well, the Oversight Committee. They're already launching these investigations. You know, the DOJ, DOJ doesn't want to turn over a lot of information to us. But in that, with now that we have the House Republican majority, we, we have the power of the purse. We can defund their jobs, their positions. We can make it very difficult uh, over the next two years on these agencies who refuse to turn over the documents that we're requesting. And I, I expect that's what Jim Jordan, James Comer, Speaker McCarthy, myself, and the rest of us to do. Uh, one more policy question before we get to this uh, Indiana Senate race, uh, which promises to be uh, uh, you know, quite, uh, quite interesting uh, in the next year and a half. Um, you're on the House Armed Services Committee, and I wonder what your reaction was to the suggestion by uh, Air Force General that we could be at war with China by 2025, sort of echoed by Representative Mike McCall that uh, he could see China moving on Taiwan uh, in that within that same time period. Well, I, I expect over the next couple of years, the, the, the Chinese, um, the Russians, Iran, North Korea, they all know we have the weakest commander in chief ever to occupy the White House as well. So this is a, a moment of opportunity where they're not afraid of they, they don't fear America like they did before Joe Biden was in the White House. So it's chilling to hear a general in the United States military say out loud what many of us know to be true, that the Chinese Communist Party's goal is to dominate the United States of America. And there's a window of, of weakness that is being projected by Joe Biden uh, in this current administration. So my job over the next couple of years on the Armed Services Committee in the majority is to hold this administration accountable, to strengthen our military, not to engage in all the woke 
uh, left-wing uh, ideological um, uh, uh, initiatives that they've been pushing on our troops that make us weaker, but to project strength instead. And how can we do that, though? Well, we we have to, yeah, we we have to hold them accountable. And and uh, majority now that we have the gavels, I'm on my way to to our first House uh, Armed Services Committee hearing uh, of the of the Congress, and you know we're already laying out a series of many uh, high, very high profile uh, 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 committee hearings that we're going to have with General Milley and Secretary Austin, all of the heads of the different uh, departments in the military, uh, but also we have the the annual bill that we pass where we authorize their programs. And we, we have to use that as a tool to authorize or deauthorize programs in the annual bill that we pass. And my, my mission will be to uproot all of the woke programs that are being pushed on our, on our troops. That's caused a record low recruitment in the military. That's, uh, you know, the, everything, the vaccine mandate uh, hurt our, uh, our recruitment efforts, but also the woke stuff that they're pushing on our troops is hurting our recruitment, too. Yeah, those should be spirited conversations with Millie and Austin. And 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 despite lifting the vax mandate, uh, saw the other day that uh, West Point is not allowing cadets who are unvaccinated to travel. It's in, it's pure insanity. And it, it doesn't help at a moment of time when when, as you as you as you pointed out, I mean, the, the biggest threat that we face, the Chinese Communist Party, they're they're ramping up their 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 military is more more sophisticated than than you can uh than you could imagine at this point they're projecting strength and 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 our military is is engaging in these types of uh, uh goofy um uh, counterproductive uh initiatives like that so we got to go after them for it we're going we're going to we're going to make it hard on, on them on them over the next couple of years if they keep uh this kind of so, you know, U.S. Senator Mike Braun is vacating his seat to run for governor next year, and uh, that to provide an opportunity for you to decide to run for Senate in Indiana. Why are you uh, deciding to run for that office? Well, I've served in the House for the last six years and, and very proud of uh, what I've been a part of, and, and uh, it's an honor to, to serve at that level. I, I just look over at the Senate all the time, and it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to see the the, uh, the the Senate not fight back as hard against wasteful spending, not fight back against uh, wokeism, not fight back against uh, an, uh, a rising China that's trying to dominate America, not not do everything that we can to protect the American way of life and our American uh, culture, which is very important. So uh, I, I, I just want to be a part of the next generation of fighters, conservative fighters in the Senate, and believe that that's what Hoosiers are looking for. Indiana is a conservative state. Indiana deserves a conservative senator. I've been a conservative leader in the House, and this is an opportunity to do even more for my state. Yeah, you know, it's been it's been a bit uh, disappointing. Todd Young's been a bit disappointing here. Uh, that's the the junior senator from Indiana. Um, he voted for the Green New Deal. I mean, um, as you say, it's a conservative state. Uh, you, you should have two uh, Hoosiers in the Senate that are fighting those fights rather than folding in. He also voted for their uh, codification of uh, marriage redefinition. What's going on with Todd Young? Well, I'm, I'm running for the open seat. I mean, I, I, it, each state has two senators, and, uh, and I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to go and be a conservative fighter for our state. I think that's what the voters are looking for. You know, I, I, Mike Braun uh, has been a reliable conservative himself. I mean, last year he forced all of his colleagues in the Senate to vote on a balanced budget. And I know that there were members on both of both parties that were mad at him for it, but that's the type of leadership Hoosiers are looking for. So very, very proud. We're off to a great start. 
Uh, President Trump endorsed me yesterday. I was very, very pleased right. to receive that endorsement. Tom Cotton, Marco Rubio, J.D. Vance have endorsed me. And a lot of leaders, and more, more, even more important than all that, uh, dozens of legislators and Republican chairmen and, and conservative leaders in Indiana who have endorsed me. So we're off to a great start. Long ways to go. Uh, so far, I'm the only one in the race and going to do everything I can to make my case uh, state all over the state that I'm best prepared to be Indiana's conservative but, champion in Washington. Yeah, but Mitch Daniels is more than likely going to be jumping into the race. And how do you see that playing out? Well, he, he announced uh, yesterday he's not running. Oh. Um, so that that's, uh, you know, one name that's out of the picture. I have a lot of respect for Governor Daniels for what he did for our state. Um, I'm sure there will be others. I, I, I have no doubt there will be others who get into the race along the way. But we're off to a strong start, and uh, I'm excited about the road ahead. Uh, what about the prospect of, say, an Eric Holcomb uh, challenging you for that Senate seat, the incumbent governor? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there are lots of names that are out there, people that, that might take a look at it. Um, I, I just think Indiana, again, Indiana's a conservative state, deserves a conservative senator. I've got the conservative record and track record and and uh, happy to I, I, I hope that there are choices in the in the primary and on the general election ballot. I mean, that that makes for a healthier process. And I, I can only do my part. I mean, I've been a, I've been the leader of the, the, the largest conservative caucus in the house I, I i love my country i i hate uh, to see what the radical left is doing to try to change our country inside out that's that's why i'm running for it i've got three young daughters by the way 13 11 and 9 and i, I just fear what type of america they're going to inherit for my generation if we don't fight to do everything we can to restore america and stop the radical left from yeah, changing is, it so you, you can go go yeah, ahead no this, this is a little bit below the fall but there's been some things written about this and, and you know I, I was a huge Mitch daniels fan i still am um, but, you know, uh, less so Eric Holcomb. And there's this sort of discussion about uh, Indianapolis Republicans versus the uh, conservative rank and file throughout the Hoosier state. And, you know, and Mitch Daniels uh, rankled some conservatives when he did famously did his sort of put social issues off to the side kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we see this everywhere in, in Republican ranks. You know, there's sort of some establishmentarianisms and then there's conservative reformers who want to do system change, who want to, well, do some of the things that you're talking about, uh, uh, preserve and propagate American culture. And I, I wonder um, how you navigate that schism, if you believe there is one, in Indiana Republican Party politics. Yeah, you know, I, uh, when President Trump was in office, I mean, I, I think the Republican Party changed in a, in a significant way, and it, it made, made us stronger And recognizing that these Cultural issues matter. I mean, it, it matters that biological boys are being allowed to compete against my girls in sports, and we should we shouldn't allow it. We should do everything to ban it. And the House Republican majority is going to pass a bill to stop it uh, at the federal level. So, in the state of Indiana, the state legislature passed a bill to stop uh, boys from competing against girls in sports, and and that was that was uh, uh, put into law last year. But we need a, we need a federal ban as the Biden administration tries to rewrite Title IX to allow that type of activity. It, it, the, it matters that transgenderism and the, the radical uh, uh, left is pushing uh, some of this ideology on our kids in schools. It shouldn't be allowed. And we should do everything we can at the state and local and federal level to ban it. So the, the, there are issues that, that matter today that I think uh, matter to preserving and protecting American families. And I'm never going to back down from those fights. He is Congressman Jim Banks uh, from Indiana's 3rd Congressional District, and he's running 
as a Republican candidate for United States Senate in 2024. Representative Banks, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Then put your Top of the morning, Dan and Amy Puxitani Phil saw a shadow, so that apparently means six more weeks of winter. Let's see what the. I'm what's her, what's the her name? Song Cheryl right Scott? Isn't she yeah. a weather girl? Yeah, it's a weather woman. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. It is a meteorologist. Yeah. Well, that's all well and good for Pennsylvania or the Northeast, what Puxitani Phil has to say, or whether or not he sees a shadow. But here in the Midwest, we rely on Woodstock Willie. Woodstock Ooh, yeah. Willie, drum roll please, he has made a prediction. Drum roll, drum roll. Do we have a drum roll? Just, Justin's busy back there. No, no drum roll. There, hey, there There's he the is. drum roll. Woodstock Willie, the seer of seers, prognosticator of prognosticators, emerged reluctantly but alertly in Woodstock, Illinois, to wish his faithful followers a happy Groundhog Day. <laughs> Willie looked skyward to the east and then behind to the ground and stated clearly in Groundhog ease, I definitely see a shadow. Yeah, boy. All right. Well, it's a consensus opinion then. By the way, that was a great Michael Buffer impersonation, uh, whoever was talking there. Uh, but but it, I can't believe it's been 30 years. 30 years since the movie Groundhog Day yeah. starring our very own Bill Murray. Did you like that movie? Andy McDowell, Harold Ramis. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, <laughs> you didn't like it? I no. hated that movie. Well, I mean, it was gonna... creative, it was cute, and it was good for Illinois, but... Um... Since it was filmed in Woodstock, this next conversation <laughs> is going to be quite difficult then, I guess. Oh, I but... love the movie. It was great. Mayor of Woodstock, and by the way, this is important because Gary Rabine decides whether or not, or when, I should say, he's going to open Bull Valley based on what Willie the Woodstock oh. predicts. So that's important to So me. that affects you, so there yeah. we go. Uh, Mayor Michael Turner joins us now. Michael Turner, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Was that you waxing poetic in announcing? That was not. Oh. That was, not. That was oh. Danny Rubin who came back. Uh, he is... Uh, uh, the writer of the original screenplay. So he made an appearance and he did the prognostication. Uh, since he predicted, uh, I guess, the, is it the, the same metric? Is a shadow equals six more weeks of winter for Willie? That is the, uh, that is the apparent, uh, apparent uh, verdict, yes. Did, was he slaughtered by an angry mob after he saw a shadow? <laughs> we had to whisk him. We, had, uh, we thought we might have to whisk him off the stage, but we did not. It was a well-behaved crowd. Oh, good. And uh, many people took pictures with uh, Woodstock Willie uh, and his handler after the, uh, after the event. Well, Groundhog Day is not just a movie. It's also a way of life in Woodstock, right? You have these ground, Groundhog, Days, Groundhog Day festivities. We do. It actually, uh, we do a good job of uh, making a big event out of it from February 1st to February 5th. Lots of uh, 
activities going on around Groundhog Day. And look, we get a lot of visitors here, not only this weekend, but we get visitors throughout the year that visit the sites. Oh, yeah, it's a it's you know, it's it's a it's a classic. I did hear you say, you know, weren't necessarily a fan of the movie. I like it. It's a you know, it's unique. But I can tell you this, it gets people here. It puts us on the map. uh, Mm. And, you know, we build off it. It's not the only thing that defines us, but it's a pretty cool thing that happened here for us 30 years ago. Correct myself. I'm a reporter. So just having to do the same story over and over every day, that's the aspect (laughs) of the movie that I didn't like. But it was a great film. And downtown Woodstock is wonderful. So where does this, uh, uh, where does the Willie live in the off season? You know, the tra- his trainer Naples. has him here lo- locally, so I don't know anything beyond that. I think he likes to keep his uh, location confidential because uh-huh. of, uh, you know, un- unwelcome visitors. So uh, what uh, what uh, can we look forward to besides a lot of drinking at uh, Groundhog Days in Woodstock? Well, there was the, it, there was the uh, Drink to World Peace. There's the uh, breakfast going on at the Moose uh, Lodge, which was part of the, the movie. There's a pub crawl trivia contest, multiple screenings of Groundhog Day at our Woodstock Theater downtown, which is a beautiful renovated theater in the heart of our uh, of our downtown just off the square. Um, everything going on at Woodstock, in Woodstock and Groundhog Day at realwoodstock.com. That's our uh, marketing website for the city and Groundhog Day. Well, tell me how this all began, you know, even before the film and just how it started back in 1992. So, um, yeah, so in 92, so Harold Ramis and, you know, and Danny Rubin, the people who collaborated on the movie, went out to find a location to shoot this idea that they had. And um, long story short, they originally were looking at Baraboo, Wisconsin, uh, for this. But Bill Murray and Harold Ramis were Chicago guys. They wanted to be closer to their family. And a guy named Bob Hudgens, who's here as well, he's, he was the site manager. He was here today, and he does walking tours. That's part of what we do. But he looked, he scouted Woodstock and went to Harold Ramis and said, you got to see this place. This is where we should do it. Harold showed up, looked at it, and, and fell in love with it. And he's like, yes, this is it. And so that's how we ended up being filmed in Woodstock. Uh, does uh, does you know Bill Murray ever come back for this, or he just he won't make the trip from Charleston, or, or what's the deal with Bill, Bill Murray? Um, he's he's not as frequent visitor as others uh, have been. We'd welcome it, him at any time. Um, so Stephen Tobolowski is one of the main guys who comes back, and so Ned Needle knows Ned. Um, he's he's been back multiple oh, yeah. times, and then Bob Bob Hudgens as well. Harold Andy Ramis, McDowell. Um, Andy McDowell. Uh, haven't seen Andy. Haven't seen Andy All McDowell right. back. And actually, Bill Murray was back here for a Super Bowl commercial about, I think it was three years ago. That was a great commercial. It was a great commercial. It got great ratings or great reviews as part of a Super Bowl. It's an outstanding commercial. They shot the outdoor scenes for that one weekend before the Super Bowl here in Woodstock. What was the product they were pitching, too? I guess it was bad marketing. It was Jeep. Oh, that's right. Jeep. Jeep mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I'd be happy to host. I'm sure Gary Rabine would, too. I'd be happy to host him at uh, Bull Valley if you want to sweeten the pot. You know, I um, would. Uh, you know what? He likes to play golf. So I think that'd be great. And I I know Gary. I'm sure Gary would welcome the chance to have him there as well. Absolutely. Um, so, has, you know, Woodstock, you're, you're pretty far north there, not too far from uh, the Cheddar Curtain. Have uh, as mayor of you and the city council, have you engaged in any discussions to seek annexation by the state of Wisconsin? (laughs) (laughs) 
Boy, that's a, I, I love that question. I'm going to right now say no, no official discussions um, <laughs> okay. on, on that. I would get myself in deep trouble with half of my population probably. So yeah. I'm going I'm to play it straight on that one and say no discussions have occurred at this point. I, I understand. Now, how was Willie the uh, Woodstock Willie? I keep wanting to say I, I, I got I got like Willie the Wimp in my mind, so I keep on. Um, Woodstock Willie, how was he discovered? What was his big break? Oh, well, we're at Truth Be Told, where I think we're on our fourth Woodstock Willie. Are you keeping it in the family? Is he being passing on to future generations? I would have to, I'd have to check on that. I don't know the answer. The trainer, the trainer is the same gentleman who's been here as long as I can remember, um, who brings him in. And, you know, Willie doesn't really like being waken up and, uh, Groundhogs are not cuddly, furry animals, even though they may look that way. So that handler, he keeps a he keeps a firm grasp on Willie during the yeah. during the prognostication. I always think they're going to turn around and gouge your eyes out, <laughs> and then punks a Tony yeah. Phil in, in Pennsylvania because he they were holding him and he was shaking like, "What are you people doing? Let me go back in yeah. my hole." Groundhogs are yeah. are well known unrepentant killers. There's the, so, you know, I hope the people of cats. Woodstock are on. Um, and um, uh, uh, with, with, so so we've got uh, got the Groundhog Days. you got Willie. He's safe. Did you have any problems with PETA? Were there PETA protesters? <laughs> any There's, red paint thrown on anybody? Uh, there were not. That's a, that's a funny question. But we're pretty, you know, we're pretty gentle with the uh, with the Groundhog. We make sure that he is well treated. And so yeah. I don't think there's any uh, any concern over that. All and right, this tradition good. is never going to go away in Woodstock. Uh, not as long as I'm, you know, uh, mayor and uh, involved. But we get, look, we got a great set of volunteers that put a lot of work into this. So I say it tongue in cheek, but boy, they, um, you know, the things they do for us and how it uh, it's become a phenomenon. We get, you know, I mean, we get thousands of people here for it, and uh, cool. it's a huge, huge deal. We had people today from France, from Sweden, wow. from Germany. Yeah, they were, they were, uh, uh, they were here today. That's... They better have been vaccinated, yeah. otherwise, hey, otherwise, get, turn to get get them right back to O'Hare. <laughs> hey, this uh, is your first year back since COVID, though, right? Or did you do it last year? Excuse me. No, ignorance. we did do it last year. Oh yeah, no, we did it last year. Yeah, Phew. absolutely. Because it's an outdoor event, so it should be safe, right? I've, you know, for me, it's not even something I really worry about that much. Go. And no, we we go right. Absolutely, we're going to do it. So. All right. So details on uh, on Groundhog Days in Woodstock can be found. Tell us the website again. At realwoodstock.com. Realwoodstock.com. Michael Turner, mayor of the city of Woodstock. Mayor Turner, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Great talking to you both. Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hey, Phil. Phil. Hey, Phil Connor, man. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Speaking of uh, Super Bowl ads, as you were talking about uh, Bill Murray's from a few years ago, uh, they're already uh, teasing some Super Bowl ads that will be aired a week from this weekend during the Super Bowl. One of them is Steve Martin and Ben Stiller for Pepsi. Okay. Take a listen. Hi, I'm Ben Stiller. And I'm Steve Martin. As actors, in a way, we never really stop acting. For example, Ben is acting right now like he's not intimidated standing next to me. 
And Steve's acting like he's not lucky to be here. Oh, and Ben's <laughs> acting like that whole awkward thing he does is a character and not his actual personality. And Steve's acting like, ooh, I'm Steve Martin, when really he's not so... It's like, okay, we get it. You're like, I mean, whatever. You know, yeah. you know... See what I mean? Okay. Banjo player. Nepo baby. You know what, Steve? I actually don't want to do this because I'm a huge fan of yours, really. Thank you, and honestly, I'm a big fan of yours. Really? I was acting. So was I. This whole time. That's what we started out talking about, how we're always acting. I was acting the whole time. Remember when Steve Martin and Ben Stiller were funny? What are they pushing? Pepsi. Oh, that's Pepsi? Yeah, you hear the can open at the end. You get. Pepsi oh, wow. What a colossal waste of money. Um, real quick. So, so sad about Steve Martin. Um, ben Stiller, mediocre. But Steve Martin, not just the stand-up, but he made so many good movies, too. And I would have gone with Steve Martin and Martin Short as the collaboration there, not Ben Stiller, because Steve Martin and Martin Short together are genius. Yeah. Three Amigos, uh, Father of the Bride, yep. even though Martin Short had a bit of a bit part there. They did a stand-up uh, uh, special together a few years back that was on, one, I think, Netflix. Uh, th- those two, Ben Stiller. What's what's a, what's your favorite Ben Stiller movie? Um, meet the Flockers. Meet the Parents. Meet the you parents. like the sequel better? The sequel's better. I like the sequel better. Yes. Did you really? I did. Sorry, I'm just being honest. You guys don't like my movie choices. The or... sequel with Barbara Streisand? Yes. Oh my god, it's terrible. It's terrible. Well, I knew what I was expecting when I went in the movie theater. You don't like Groundhog Day, but you like Meet the Flockers. I do not like Groundhog Day. I can't see Groundhog. You lied to the mayor of Woodstock. No, I told him. I told him why I don't like it. It's because I that you know I, reporting. You don't want to do the same story every day, and that was a perpetual nightmare. And I didn't like that aspect. All right, here, here's here's something to try when you watch a movie. What suspension of disbelief? It's not a documentary. You okay. know, it's yeah, lighten up a little bit okay. when you watch a comedy, <laughs> and understand what's a comedy and what isn't. Meet the parents. Yeah, meet the Fockers. Or whatever that sequel is called. No. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, chairman of the Mystical Fed Board, Jay Powell, yesterday announcing the expected 25 point basis point interest rate hike. And as expected, because the market expected it, there was a rally and a good January in the markets. And so the soft landing is afoot, right? Is it? Uh, Jay Powell, in his presser after the announcement, uh, fielded some questions from reporters, including one about the debt ceiling and its uh, the need to raise it. Here's what he said. I feel like I have to say this. There's only one way forward here, and that is for Congress to raise the debt ceiling so that the United States government can pay all of its obligations when due. And any deviations from that path would be highly risky, and that no one should assume that the Fed can protect the economy from the consequences of failing to act in a timely manner. Is he right to help us with that question and others? Please be joined by the capitalist pig. He is Jonathan Honig, founding member of the Capitalist Pig Hedge Fund and Fox News contributor, author of a new textbook of Americanism, The Politics of Ayn Rand. Jonathan Honig, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. 
great to be with you, Mike and Amy. I mean, look, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm Dan. I'm Dan. I'm not Mike. Oh, Dan, excuse you're, me. You're on the wrong show. All right, let's no, get Mike the other. Mike Scott so, does the news. Oh, so uh, uh, well, I'm. I'll, I'll just, well, all right, Mike, you no, want to take? No, I'll say, I'm kidding. The market is confusing enough as it is to begin with, but you know, when <laughs> Jay Powell starts talking and politics starts getting involved with it, I mean, that, maybe that's why I'm so messed up this morning. Is that there's so many shifting winds in today's economy, Dan and Amy, that. I think it's more difficult now to be an investor. And given the inflation, it's more expensive to be an American. Well, um, so, uh, you know, his 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 like debt ceiling is sort of a, you know, the Congress has to manage the fiscal side of the House. I, I mean, I sort of get that, although I don't know why he needs to take a position other than the obvious one that America needs to abide its obligations, though the theater around the debt ceiling raise given the the uh, treasury borrowing a quarter of a trillion dollars more than originally anticipated uh, rings a little hollow to me. Yeah, well, we're going to pay. We're, <laughs> the U.S. is not going to default. And you know, Dan, as I know you you guys have discussed, I mean, this is a bit of a kabuki theater that has gone on maybe twenty some odd times since nineteen eighty. Uh, the U.S. W- will not default. Uh, but what's going to happen is that, as we know, there's no free lunch. So. All this prolificate spending, all this debt will be paid for. And in fact, how we're increasingly seeing, kind of fact, what Wall Street alluded to is that we're going to see through it through a depreciation in the dollar. We've already seen inflation when the U.S. dollar has been strong globally. What we've seen, Dan and Amy, is the more this debt ceiling fight has gone on, the U.S. dollar is now starting to drop and drop actually rather precipitously in the last couple of months. So, you know, Americans are paying for it. They're paying for it through a lower quality of life. I know you've seen the studies that even Americans making six figures now are reportedly living hand to mouth. Uh, orange juice, six dollars a gallon. I mean, despite uh-huh. what the Fed says, this is a very difficult time to be an American. Eggs are six economy. bucks if you can even find them. I mean, every time I go to the grocery store, which I have to two times a week, it just I get heart palpitations because everybody wants to know when is this going to end. And also gas too. this gas back is up almost over four dollars in Chicago again. Yeah, I mean, Amy, I think you're right. That, that's the thing. We'd like to think that inflation is some, you know, the, the analogy was made early on. It's not toothpaste. One can simply stick back in the bottle. And while it has come down, you know, in terms of the big headline number from seven to six, well, six is still outpacing inflation. And six is still where it was in the early 1970s. Again, look at history, Dan, Amy. You know, inflation wasn't like it just ran up rampant all throughout the 1970s. It had a peak, then a trowel, then came roaring back. So, you know, until it's the spending that's addressed, and maybe this is what the Fed was trying to allude to, which Powell was trying to allude, until the government stops spending, I just don't think this inflation genie is back in the bottle just yet. Well, I'm going to put all my, I was going to put all my money in uh, orange and egg futures, but now I'm thinking you're saying we have to buy toothpaste by the bottle rather than the tube, so maybe <laughs> I should go long on toothpaste. Um, so a, a question for you, though. Our friend uh, Jim Perry over at Perry Capital said uh, Powell made a mistake yesterday. He should have raised uh, rates by 50 basis points, number one. But even if he didn't do that, number two, he should have been more hawkish than he was in his rhetoric about the hike. Uh, Instead, he was more dovish, saying, you know, financial conditions have tightened when Perry argues they've actually eased. And so there is more work to do, maybe more work than what the market is anticipating, which is another 25 basis point hike in March. What do you think? It's so funny. It's like. Should, what should the Fed have said and how she have said it? I mean, Dan, if I wanted to go in that business, I would have gone into the theater. You know, I mean, I'm analyzing wow. trends. And, 
that's what's so frustrating is, again, we're trying to look at the markets, and yet so much of the market is dictated by the Federal Reserve. What's interesting is, you know, rates were raising long before the Federal Reserve started raising them. And in recent weeks and recent months, it's actually started coming down even as the Fed has continued to raise them. So, you know, what should the Fed have done? Well, Dan, central, Dan and Amy, central planners are always wrong. They didn't see this inflation coming at all, so I don't trust what they're saying. You know, I'm putting my money now. I think you have to be playing it relatively safe. I mean, there was a huge bull market in the early 1970s and a massive bull market, just a bear market just two years later. So I think you can put money to work despite the Fed and despite the inflation, but I think you have to be very short-term oriented and very much focused on those off-the-radar ideas. I mean, you know, even the Facebook folks uh, down 60% last year, but up 20% just this morning on an earnings beat. So lots of volatility, but also lots of places to make money, unorthodox ideas. So if, uh, so if the Fed holds as predicted, and uh, starts to chill out after getting the Fed funds rate to 5% next month, then what do you see short-term for the markets? Are we going to see continue to see the kind of rally that we saw in January? Putting out a you know, bespoke investment that does some great statistical work, analytical work. Basically, Dan and Amy, when the market goes up the extent that it did in January, after the previous size losses the previous year, that's happened five times since 1950, all five times, the market's been positive the next year, anywhere between 15 and 35 percent. So history is on our side, despite Biden, despite the spending. History is on our side to have somewhat of a bounce back just this year. But I think, you know, given the, the tenuous nature of most people's finances, you know, I think caution is warranted, Dan and Amy. I mean, as I said, there's been other studies that said once inflation is above 5 percent, it says tends to stay above 5 percent for at least a decade or more. So, you know, until I see some real spending cuts in Washington, I think you have to be at least a little bit conservative with your portfolios. And, you know, Dan and Amy, one of, this is not a commercial, but one of the best performing assets this year so far has been gold, which has been a, a real hedge against inflation and a hedge against the dollar recently. So spread it around this year. Don't take big chances. I don't think that we're out of the woods just yet. Uh, where are you on crypto? Uh, Bitcoin had a big bounce back, like a 40% bounce back in January. Uh, meanwhile, Charlie Munger uh, of the famed uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, Charlie Munger with Warren Buffett, said that the U.S. should follow the lead of the Chinese communists and ban cryptocurrencies because they're not a currency, they're not a commodity, they're just a gambling contract, and they're not productive. Well, I mean, maybe that's why we shouldn't ban them, right? I mean, because uh, as, you, as the Munger has alluded to it, they're not terribly productive. And interestingly, Dan, I mean, most people who purchase crypto, according to the studies I've seen, have lost money in crypto. I think that's the real issue facing cryptocurrency. What exactly is it for besides holding it as a complete speculation? Especially now, I mean, keep in mind, crypto really came of age when banks were paying zero or negative interest rates during, their, for, during the pandemic. People were handed checks and told, you know, go invest. You know, at this point, I think a lot of investors are wondering what exactly is the purpose of investing my money in crypto when I can put it in other assets that perhaps more safe, more long-term oriented. So, you know, Dan and Amy, I'm not a crypto hater, but I think like any speculation, you just want to be conscious of what percentage of your portfolio, what percentage of your assets you're allocating to such an idea. So I'm not a hater, but I think you have to be really careful with, you know, given the volatility we've seen both on the way down and even recently on the way up. 
Uh, I don't know if you uh, have any money left. I know you were long on Taylor Swift tickets, but there's an event happening in uh, D.C. featuring Comrade Bernie Sanders entitled It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism. Uh, that's the event. Um, uh, you can buy tickets via Ticketmaster. Oh, Interesting. Wow. Uh, that are, are we between, going? That are between 35 and $95. So for Bernie, a college should be free, but you have to pay to attend him railing against capitalism. Well, they have to be hypocrites. All the socialists have to be hypocrites. If they, if they really were from each according to it need to each according ability, they would be, you know, living out in a tent, uh, you know, with, with absolutely nothing. Bernie somehow finds time for, you know, the, the houses and the chauffeurs and everything else, of course, he enjoys. It's, it's always animal farm with these guys, right? Dan and Amy, it's like, you know, the rules are, you know, for everyone else, you know, it applies to them, but not to me. And what's so frustrating just as an American is you look around and see everything wonderful we enjoy was created by capitalism, was created by individuals thinking, employing, producing all the, the technological advancements, all the advancements in health and, and nutrition and all the rest. So, you know, we live as Americans. Our middle class is considered wealthy on the world stage. You know, you'd rather be a middle class American than a wealthy European by many standards. So we have an extraordinarily good, not thanks to communists like Bernie, but thanks to Americans some of the great business tycoons of our age and of ages prior. So I'm thankful to them and, and thankful certainly to the free speech that lets us speak out about it, unlike in so many of those communist and socialist, socialist countries that Bernie seems to love. Uh, one other contraindicator, just in terms of uh, Fed policy, you know, the, the belief was you needed to start see the um, uh, see layoffs tick up, and you're seeing them in certain sectors and certain businesses in order to indicate that uh, the policy is working and they can start to relax the rate hikes. But we have uh, news out yesterday that job openings in the United States increased to a five-month high. So the labor market's still pretty tight, and how does the Fed interpret that with respect to using that as a bellwether for their, their policy on rates? I think you have to take a longer-term perspective than just – one report to the next. You know, there's that an old saying on the street, Dan and Amy, you know, one swallow does not make a summer. You know, so I think we're in the winter now, both <laughs> literally and, and metaphorically when it comes to the the, uh, the economy. And, you know, one good report necessarily, I just don't think changes this dramatic trend we've seen of massive layoffs. And, you know, Dan, they're not just into the small companies and technology led us on the way up. I think they're unfortunately leading, leading us on the way down. And, um, you know, I'm still a relative, despite the fact the economy is bounced, you know, what we've seen is that the, the, the stocks have bounced the most in the companies that have cut the most. You know, what we see is this phenomenon these days of what's seemingly good on Wall Street is what's bad for Main Street. So companies are getting rewarded for laying people off right now. So I think it's a, unfortunately a bigger picture. Might be a good omen for Wall Street for short term, but I think it's a pretty worrisome omen uh, that the companies that are doing well are not the ones that are investing, but the ones that are letting people go. He is the Capitalist Pig, Jonathan Honig, founding member of the Capitalist Pig Hedge Fund and Fox News contributor, author of A New Textbook of Americanism, The Politics of Ayn Rand. Jonathan, thanks as always. Great to be with you both. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Dan and Amy. So, uh, Amy... Uh, a uh, friend of mine sent me video from a CPS first-round playoff game, basketball, 
Whitney Young versus Almond Brothers. Where your kids went to high school. Well, one's still there. Okay. It's called Amundsen. Right, Almond Brothers. And um, the uh, the Whitney Young Choir at center court during the national anthem, th- they took a knee. Were you at that game? Uh, yes. Don't give me uh, – yes, I was at the game. You were at the game? Yes, and I was shocked that that was – I mean, I stood up for the national anthem and my hand on my heart. And then all, toward the end when they're for the land of the free, more Ooh, than only – Yeah, that was really bad. Uh, six of them took a knee. Two decided to stand up, <laughs> remain standing, I should say. And they took a knee as like they're doing this, doing this, like they're so woke. And I, I don't know. I was so disgusted by it. And there's a black gentleman behind me, and he was shaking his head, too, like, oh, my, what, what is this? Right. I mean, really, stand up. Have some respect for yourself. Get off the floor. Even the magnet schools are repellent in Chicago. Whitney Young. Right. What, I'm sorry. What are the what are the reading and math at grade level? Never mind. Um, well, that's just, a nice school, and they have real nice things. Yeah, well, it's, I, I know. It I mean, their to, announcer you, is the Cubs announcer that he does a PA inside in Wrigley Field. Harry Carey? No, Jeremiah. What's oh. his last name? But it's he's. I mean, we were all shocked. His name is Jeremiah Paprocki. I'm sure I butchered that, but he's so really this, good at his job, and that's why we were. I had to look him up and realize, oh my God, he's a professional announcer. So we're going to go through a wave of this again in the wake of what happened in Memphis, I, I suppose. I know somebody I suppose said it's what... Black History Month. I'm like, well, mm, what does this has, to, this do has with to do it? with this has to do with Memphis. Yeah, that's for, for sure. Well, anyway, I saw that and it reminded me of this great vignette that Clay Travis told way back in the day when he was just at Outkick before he became a big radio star. And uh, this is Clay Travis talking about his wife participating in a neighborhood fun run, like a neighborhood 5K to raise money for a local charity or something. Take a listen. This past weekend, Friday night, my wife went on a fun run in our neighborhood. Uh, It's like one of these glow runs or something like for, for cancer research. You run like a 5K. I'll be damned if they didn't sing the national anthem before this fun run. Whatever, there's margaritas, beer. It's a charity event. Nobody's trying to set the record in the in the 5K. A dude took a knee <laughs> while an 8-year-old girl sang the national anthem in the local neighborhood charity run. Uh, Can you try harder <laughs> than to take a knee while an 8-year-old girl sings a charity run national anthem in a local neighborhood in this country, <laughs> I, mean, uh, I think that that was. I mean, that dates back like post Michael Brown or something. I think it's it's. Even, I think that's even pre George Floyd. But uh, oh, it's just it's just so perfect, and it's it's just like perfectly punctuates the ridiculousness of the left, which of course has only increased exponentially in their intervening years. But maybe maybe we should do that. Maybe we should what? all everybody just take a knee no. to not, for the purposes of parroting. Those people who take a knee, because if everybody takes a knee, then nobody's taking a knee. I mean, they were so proud of themselves. They're like, "Look at me! I'm on my knees." <laughs> who won the for game, by the way? You. Pardon? Who won the game? Um. Well, one team scored a lot of points, and the other team didn't score hardly any points. Was it worse than the the beatdown that Almond Brothers took? Was it worse than the beatdown that the uh, the girls team gave some other CPS team? Yeah. Did you see that score? Was it one thirty-five to ten? I I I I thought it was ninety five oh, to ten. I, I think it was like took another I, look. I thought it was because 
They beat our, us 93 to 23. The girls team did. They're, uh, they're really good. And, and what was the score on the boys? Uh, a lot of points to little points. I think it was 62 to 36. Well, That's pretty maybe good. the boys and girls in Amundsen should get to play together 10 on 5. Pick one. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.